Welcome to No Challenges Remaining for the second part of our 2021 U.S. Open Rap Show Boys Time. It's Ben Rothenberg joined by Courtney Nguyen. Hi, Courtney. How are you? Fine. I, I didn't know it was boys time, but yeah. Okay. You know, sure. trying to show yeah. enthusiasm Men's for rock. the dudes who play tennis. Oh, yeah. I mean, what a tournament they had. They did. They had a, they had a tournament. And it was, I think, very different from the women's, obviously. They were very sort of interesting parallel things. When you had, I think we talked about this a bit, but like, Djokovic trying to go for this culmination of a whole career thing, a one versus two final, very different dynamics in the men's draw. Sure. And satisfying in its own ways. And people were very happy with this draw. I will say right off the bat, I was doing some back of envelope ca- calculations while you were do- fixing your microphone. The There was a lot of gushing on ESPN from a certain, huh. really just Brad Gilbert, point. I, I just listened to him, I said on Twitter about the greatness of best of five and how it was all on display and how there were so many best of five matches at this tournament. I think the jury, my jury, is still very much out on if this is any good. And I was just looking, people who played a best of five match at the U.S. Open and then played somebody who didn't also play a best of five match in the next round, uh, there were 28 people in that situation. And of those 28 next matches, they only won six. So it's just anyway. Okay. But 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 so then your point is that ultimately for the tournament it's not the knock on effects great, are not worth it. Or, is what I'm saying because I mean because Ruben later well, because, round matches. Okay, that's your argument because I I would sure, but I mean I would think that the best of five acolytes would would argue that's not what they're arguing. They're arguing that in the moment that product in and of itself, meaning the match, is great. I I mean I guess, <laughs> but the knock on effects. I'm trying, man. I'm, try try, I'm trying to be this devil's advocate over here. I don't know. On, on this show. No, but. Well, no, 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 no. Not that. But just like, I mean, I don't, I've never, I personally have never, and to be fair, I'm not um, somebody who engages in this conversation yeah. very often. So I just don't really care, nor do I hear it. But I have not really heard anybody as a defense of, B, of BO5, um, BO5 hot oil, um, that, um, sorry, <laughs> 80s joke, that. They're not. I don't think that people make the argument thinking that with any i any thought that the integrity of the tournament well look I, is improved by it. They're just saying just that like they just like the, it better. If on the one hand, you're regardless given, of what the person does, you know, Carlos next. Alcaraz who will get to later crap for retiring from his night match quarterfinal abruptly, but he also played two five setters in the last round, and he also had a second uh, retirement later in the match uh, in another night match on the men's side with Jack Sock retiring after he'd also played a best of five in the round before. You know, like, I'm just saying there's a price. I don't know why I let off with that particular uh, bug of it was so early. It was weird. It's Let's weird. I, I did, it just, it was a weird opening. But then again, we talked about the uh, Met Gala for so about 20 minutes to, in the last the episode. More, so I mean, last fine. time, men's show, we women's show, we talked about the champion Emirate Economy for quite a while first. I think it makes more sense in this show to open with Djokovic as the runner-up. I think he was the protagonist of this men's tournament. Sure. Obviously going for the Grand Slam. Uh, New York Times particularly is trying this shift of trying to go for more calling the four tournaments majors and the overall accomplishment Grand Slam, which yes, which thank you, I have I been doing this for years, board, and I hope that we can all keep with this. Emma Raducanu did not win a Grand Slam; she won a major. She did not win a Grand Slam. It has pissed me off yeah, for yeah. a decade, basically, um, that people call them Grand Slams when the Grand Slam is the four. It is 
you know, it's like calling one beer a six pack. That's not, that's not how it works. So it has bothered me. I'm always, I'm pretty disciplined in my writing, even though it's not a widely accepted thing about the whole saying majors and slams to describe what people colloquially call a grand slam. Yes. You you, you distinguish between grand slam and slam. A hundred percent. I, for me, like that's fair. fair. In my writing, like pretty much on my byline, if it's, if it's happened, it's been because I'm just being lazy or because I just don't like how the sentence is flowing. So I'll throw that extra syllable in there. But for the most part, I call them majors. I call them slams 99% of the time. I do not like calling them grand slams. I don't like it. And it's not accurate. It's not historically accurate in the least. So yes, thank you, New York Times, for finally <laughs> jumping on my train of one. <laughs> train of one. No, Nobody else cares, call. but I care. In case, no, it is clear, also just like I care the phrase, very much. The phrase, like which I wasn't using, and I was, and I, which I don't think I ever used during the U.S. Open, which we got during, definitely got, I used a lot more. I know in 2015 of calendar year Grand Slam. What is that? That's just the Grand Slam. That's it's redundant. Grand Slam. You want to say non-calendar Grand Slam? That's a different meaning. That seems like more a distinction. Yes. Right, like the Serena what, what, what Serena did in 2014-15, also did before that in yeah. 2002-03, and what Djokovic did in, what was it, 2015-2016? Like, yes, those are non-calendar Grand Slams, but the Grand Slam in its meaning... Okay, I'm glad we agree on this. this anyway, nice Oh my gosh, it's been a... It's, it's one of my my very, like, top five pet peeves in the sport. And yeah. that's saying we a just, lot. <laughs> we just don't use the word... We just don't use the phrase major very much. And, and it's a golf term. Golf, they very distinctly say sure. majors for the big, for the four tournaments and then, or for the five on the women's side, there's five majors in women's golf. And then uh, Grand Slam for winning all of them. Yeah. So uh, we can maybe learn from golf on that. I think it's just it's better. I just uh, like, I just personally think words should mean what they mean. Bold, bold takes. All right. I so Novak Djokovic. live on the edge. Novak Djokovic got further than Serena by one match. He made it all the way to the final of the US Open, putting himself one match away from winning the Grand Slam. Same tournament. number of sets, though. Hmm? Same number of sets, though. What do you mean? As Serena. Three sets away from completing the Grand Slam. Oh, fair, fair, fair. Yeah, that's, not, that's true. I just uh, was really proud of myself. I came up with that. Okay, <laughs> congratulations. I can count to three. I'm excited. So, Djokovic... I'm no uh, I don't. I don't do math, so... <laughs> okay, continue, sorry. Well, I know, no, it's fine. Djokovic uh, gets to the final... We get this sort of like moment that we didn't get with Serena totally of seeing what it would be like in terms of the star turnout. And I feel like Serena's star, star turnout would have been much bigger. But like people were showing up for this wow. match. Man. You got Brad Pitt there. You got, uh, I don't think it's ever been in a tennis match that I can remember. Uh, a bunch of others. Sharapova showed up to a tennis match for the first time since her retirement. Uh, lots of people. I don't know if the Met Gala being in town also helped with that. Yeah. Um, the next day. Um, but anyway, lots of, lots of star power. I, I should have a list in front of me. I don't. If I cared about that more, but anyway, uh, Djokovic, Gail King, the final. Leonardo DiCaprio, Bradley Cooper, uh, a ton of models. Um, Andy Roddick was there, uh, mm-hmm. which was cool. Um, but yeah, that, that's just they opened a bunch though. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it was just cool to see him. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, so good big sort of moment, and then the match itself, Djokovic doesn't really come that close in this match. Honestly, he gets down a break relatively early in the match to Medvedev. Medvedev. Uh, he has a bit of a fight back early in the second set, gets a few breakpoint opportunities early in the second, doesn't convert them, smashes a racket, seems just sort of fried, honestly. He's one of the people I mentioned before. He's the 28th person in the tournament to have played a best of five in the round before and then come up short in the next round. Um, and Medvedev wins it in what was honestly a relatively anticlimactic final, uh, given 
all the given the stakes. Uh, yeah, given the stakes. Yeah, I mean, it just felt like I mean, the scoreline six four six four six four. It felt m- almost more straightforward than that um, in some ways, and that's pretty straightforward. Not even getting to a tiebreak in a men's match, but uh, yeah, uh, but Djokovic seemed afterwards. You know, it's tough to know all of what it was, but like Djokovic seemed relatively content and happy to get the crowd and people caring about him. Honestly, this was this this was his take. At least it seemed important to him, and something he really had not gotten before in that kind of crowd support in at New a Grand York. Slam. I, I would say at a Grand Slam period. Yeah, at a not Grand like Slam, that. Probably. Not where people were like there, like for him. I mean, Brad Pitt showed up for Djokovic. They That's showed up for history. Djokovic history. For history. Okay. That's my take on it. And that's not, I don't think, I, I don't mean that. And I know it's going to come off as an absolute slight to Novak, but I'm not sure that. You can the people, Novak if you want to. No, but that's not my intention. My intention is to say that, like, I think that the, the buildup over that match. And when we talk about the celebrity, the celebrity show up and just kind of the vibe around that match was not that. I, I personally don't think that it was because Novak was going for the. Yeah, Grand Slam. I think it was because the Grand Slam was on the line, and people yeah. wanted to be witness to history. That you know, rich famous folk love that shit. Like being standing at the whatever is the rich person equivalent of the water cooler on Monday, and being like, "Yeah, I was there." Like you know, like I, I saw it. You know, I, I think that there's there's a lot of that 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 goes into it. So um, that was a little bit my sense, and the reason why I sense that is a lot because as that match went on, and I'm sure we'll talk about in terms of the crowd and how the crowd kind of like was weird uh, towards how that match kind of, uh, everybody was like rooting for Novak, like vocally, obviously Mm -hmm. um, to get history. Again, I do believe that a lot of it was about history because then towards the end, when the certain segments of the crowd were kind of being a BOTT, like they were, they were, they were cheering double faults and and trying to get Medvedev off his game and screaming, you know, crossing the line of yeah. boisterous applause and you know rapture to kind of being unsportsmanlike. The yeah. crowd like turned. There was like this moment where like Medvedev, after enduring like such incredible like just like you know had been choking and whatever, he hit like this forehand winner after this long rally, and the crowd like erupted in celebration for Medvedev. I was like, see, this is not that's different than what had been happening with the crowd five minutes earlier. So I think it was about history, and then once it kind of was not happening, I think they kind of shifted. I was not in the crowd. I was live logging in from the media center, so it's hard. I for me also to pick was out. not in <laughs> yes, the crowd. Well, yes, but I'm, say- but I'm just saying, from what I heard from people, and I think it's one of those things. It's very easy to refer to crowd in these situations as a monolith. You know, like there's different factions of the crowd. Like I think there there were a lot of people there. When I was wa- walking around the grounds earlier that day. Tons of people. Pretty much anyone who's like a Novak Djokovic like super fan in North America and maybe oh. beyond showed sure. up for this match. 100%. More Djokovic sort of like apparel that I'd ever seen yeah. in a tournament in my life. And so there's a lot of, like, hardcore Djokovic fans, a lot of, you know, they were, like, not only, like, were there Serbian flags, there were, like, Montenegrin flags, like, other neighbors were showing up to the party, you know, they were, like, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, was, it was, yeah, yeah, it, you know, late, late summer barbecue for uh, for folks. No, so I'm guessing, like, people who are more invested in Novak, I'm guessing, probably are the ones who are more emotionally invested in then getting a little bit more uh, crossing lines, let's say, in the end, and I don't think Brad Pitt's out there, you know, b- you know, clapping double faults or whatever, maybe he is, so far I know, who knows. I certainly I saw that know. fight scene at the end of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I know, I know he can do some damage if he wants to. Oh, what a fight but, scene. Uh, Iconic. Oh, so great. So great. 
can kills me. Oh, the can um, is the can. The, the can is an am- amazing just sight gag. But yeah, no, I, I think that that's right. And, and and having watched it from home and just watching it on ESPN when they were cutting to the crowd uh, shots, like first of all, it was absolutely apparent. I was like, whoa, there are so many Novak supporters there. It was great, yeah. like throughout the match, like you know, and uh, just people in in whether it was official Novak gear or really rare Novak merchandise that I remember from like back or in the homemade day. Novak merch. A lot of homemade no- Novak merch. That was really cool to see. I, I really loved that. But then, like towards the end of the match, when things were getting rowdy, the crowd shots did seem to indicate that it was it was coming from a certain segment, less than. Yeah, the crowd was not a monolith of it on it. So, you know, but that's all neither here nor there. It doesn't matter who the crowd was rooting for. That's not the point. But it was, um, yeah. It, I just wanted to make that. I just wanted to make that crowd not a monolith thing. That's all yeah, people, yeah. I think, erroneously saying like, oh, by the end, the whole crowd was rooting for Vinci in twenty fifteen. Like, no, they weren't. There's still lots of Serena fans there. Vinci certainly won over some sure. neutrals, but certainly the crowd still wanted. And she was had a lot more sort of charisma, and, and she was a big underdog and stuff. And so, like, watching her do that probably did make some people like begrudgingly or not, you know give her her, her yeah, props yeah. for winning that match um but yeah it said like oh the crowd was against three by the end of the match like no come on like come on oh Absolutely. yeah no, no anyway that, that's definitely not true yeah no so um but yeah definitely thought the match was going to be closer but at the same time like once especially once uh, medvedev staved off that triple break point early in the second set um that's yeah. when i kind of tuned in because there was a little bit i mean novak had lost the first set in like what like four or five straight matches like so losing the first mm-hmm. set when people are like <gasps> like you know like the the fetter nadal like uh labor cup photo of like roger grabbing rafa's yeah. <laughs> knee in shock i was like come on guys like it's freaking novak have some respect like he's not gonna let this go you know but once once medvedev was able to, to pull out of that game i was like okay you know what game on this might be well, once it started going that way, it made a lot of sense to me. Honestly. Yeah. I mean, and again, this is this is this had been after being the opposite thing happening in Australia. Medvedev coming in a twenty match win streak, uh, including one over Djokovic, really just being the guy, and then getting pretty blitzed mm-hmm. in that final it was really disappointing. Final it was five two and two, and those last two sets were not close at all. So, but once it made once it started happening, it made sense. I mean, Djokovic has spent six more hours on yeah. court to get to the final. Than Medvedev, he's thirty-four years old, which is not and a lot of scar tissue. Given terms. what happened, what had yeah. happened in Tokyo, and coming in, and and yeah. this was midway through the tournament. And the baggage, yeah, of exactly. Everything. The midway through the tournament, because to be fair, I wasn't really. Uh, I was paying attention to the scores, but I was not watching matches point by point. Sure. But midway through the tournament, I started to kind of tune into bits and pieces of Novak's matches, and, and I just remember thinking by the end of the the, the first week, like he looks tired like this is like the first time that i felt like novak looked old yeah he looked older he He looked looked markedly markedly older just haggard and just kind of you know and and there was um and i say this with all the love and respect because my father has this because my dad's a very small man and he's very wiry but my dad has like incredible old man strength like i'll just look outside Mm -hmm. and i'll see him doing some sort of gardening thing and i'm like i don't know how physically he's doing that like just straight up like lifting trees out of the ground i'm like okay um and and there was and it just would always like crack me up and so when i was seeing novak and him being still able to you know kind of clean up these matches in dominant fashion despite dropping the first set i was like oh this is very old man strength of novak like you know like just the way he was looking because of how physically he looked um so I, I never really wrote him off, but at the same time, like, I just think that Medvedev's so good on hard courts. Like it's just, and if it was going to be anybody, it was going to be him. I was pretty stunned when, when, when Novak had to play five sets in the semis. 
like when I, I was out doing, mm-hmm. living my life as everyone should. Um, and, but I checked, I checked the <laughs> score and I was like, why is this in a fifth set? Like, I don't understand. Like, this makes no sense to me. Yeah. That was kind of also maybe alarm bells a little bit in my head because I just think that's, but yeah, like, I mean, Nevada's just so good. Like, and he's a joy to watch. I love watching that guy do his weird brand of mojo yeah. on the court, you know? So we'll talk, we'll talk, we'll talk about Medvedev more sure. fully later, but um, I, I, I agree with you that like Djokovic was making things just taking sort of longer routes to do things, making things like hard. I mean, he lost the set to hold your rune, which do respect to hold your rune. Like, what are you doing, Novak? If you're about to go for history, you can't be dropping sets. I don't, I don't to hold know who your that is. out here. Yeah, exactly. And then, um, Lost it to Nisha Corey again. Like what? Like lost a set badly to Jensen Brooksby. That was a good match. That was fun. Fourth round against two Brooksby. sets of fun. Um, and then clinical yeah. at the end, which two is what you would expect. And then, you know? Yeah, right. And then yeah, he lost. He lost a set to to Matt Berrettini. Loses two sets in the semifinals, and then yeah, and then he's out of gas by by the end. And sure, which like, makes sense. It just again, 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 it made sense. All it made sense, and it and it goes to again how improbable it was that he like twice at the French Open came back from two sets down win that tournament he beat rafa at the french mm. open like he'd already done some incredible things to get himself anywhere near this and yeah and we saw this with serena in 2015 like yeah. i said it in the last shot i don't know what the episode titles will be here but like emirata made it look incredibly easy novak showed that it's hard you know especially having doing this at this stage of your career and right i don't know what this means for for novak longer term like yes he's still gonna be the favorite to win the australian open in 2022 like he is still the guy there he's still number one and I think he's going to stay number one because Medvedev in his post press was. I actually asked him. About, like, he like crunched the numbers for you. He was like immediately like <laughs> I, 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 he, Medvedev is Medvedev is great, yes. but um, we'll we'll get to him again later. He's still number one. He's probably going to stay number one into into Australia next year, at least. And yeah, like and he's still the guy to beat. At the same time, he's still the guy to beat. At the same time, you never know when it might finally be a bridge too far. We had this conversation on the show before, like right, like you never know when somebody when someone has won their last slam, to put it in those terms. You just never know. Would we have thought in 2017 that Serena had won her last slam with that when she rolled that Australian Open title, if that is indeed her last slam? Probably not. Roger, Roger maybe a little more, because Roger was a bit older in 2018 when he won his. If if Rafa's last slam, let's say, who knows, was the 2020 French Open, where he killed Novak in the final, like, that would seem weird. You just, Venus in 2008, winning her, probably her last slam. Like, you just don't know. When someone, when, when someone's, not luck, but when someone's sort of, like, ability to do this runs out. You just well, don't know. It's hard to, especially for Novak, who's still active on top of the world. And again, he could still win Australia. He's still favorite to win Australia. I'm not, by any means, writing off his career. But, like, he did look, this did look, like, laborious in a different yeah. way. And, yeah, I was just yeah. sure for that the whole way and especially in the final as it was unraveled. Yeah, I mean, I think that when just hearing you kind of being like, you know, identifying all the things that we don't know, I think that that's totally true and I think that the other thing as well is no matter how many questions, you know, Novak gets asked and and how open he is about answering them and things like that. We don't know the because we can't know. We've we've never tried this. We've never done this. We've never been in this situation, but we don't know the strain that 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 this undertaking um which and I say this as I, and I don't know because I, I really don't, but this undertaking, whether or not this was an undertaking that he was pursuing or one that was put upon him because of the circumstances, like there were moments where I kind of got the sense that like, do you, I, I don't know. Like, I was like, do you want to do this? I think he wanted it. He, he oh, fair wanted enough. It. Fair he enough. 
I think but, he wanted yeah, to. Yeah, like, you know, so if that's the case, but like, yeah, just the sacrifices and the strain and the mental strain. And it's something that, you know, to do the to do the grand slam, you this is a this is a mental strain that you live with for nine months of the season. Like there's not really a moment where you're not living under that cloud, right? As opposed to like, I just want to win a grand slam. Well, you won. I'm targeting the French Open. You won the French Open, so congratulations. Like, you know, now you can have a few weeks off. But like trying to do the Grand Slam is like the whole shebang. It's just, it's all encompassing. And it's a lot to live with. And it's a lot to deal with. And, you know, I can't, I can't imagine what it was like for him. And it, it, I think it physically showed. You could tell. I think with this particular thing, the Grand Slam bid, I think would have become more serious in his mind once he won the French Open. He plays so well at Wimbledon. Wimbledon is a firm he feels comfortable on. Again, it's sort of amazing to me how good he's been at Wimbledon. So doesn't totally compute just how reliable he's been at Wimbledon with his game, but he has been the guy at Wimbledon. And then, yeah, the two long months. It was a, It's a long time to wait with that being one step away and then adding the Olympics and the, the Golden Slam, the emotion of that, how his Olympics imploded so quickly to being up a set and a break in the semis, losing that match, losing bronze medal match, also losing a semis and mix, pulling out. And I think just generally, it has to be exhausting being Novak Djokovic for many, many reasons, many of which are self-inflicted, you could say, but just like what he does and all the different things he's doing, add PTPA to it, add um, all the sorts of different sort of holistic stuff he's involved in, all the other stuff with other things he's involved in, sort of trying to get two tournaments off two different ATP events off the ground in Belgrade this year. He mentioned that at some point in the U.S. Open. was like, oh, it's been a long year to play Belgrade twice. So it was like, that didn't even register to me that that was like part of his year, but it was. I mean, playing and organizing those events, or his younger brother being the tournament director, I'm sure he had a lot to do there. Like, it's just yeah. a lot. And it's not unlike Serena, where she was adding more to her plate, but hers were more in terms of like endorsements yeah. and stuff. Novak is sort of finding other battles to engage in. And other things, you know, and, and again, some of a lot of it is self-inflicted. Like, he's going to get heat or criticism for, I don't let's say, his vaccine stances. Like, yes, that's self-inflicted. Like, there's the PTBA is his choice. Maybe it's a, it's certainly a more noble cause by any definition than the vaccine stuff. But it's uh, whether you agree with PTBA or not. But, yeah, he's just, he's not necessarily being completely tunnel vision. And also, he's trying to be magnanimous when he can be i think he's a generally pretty magnanimous guy and, and generous with a lot of his time and everything but yeah it's, it's just, a it lot get into you and i think yeah you just saw the you just saw the culmination and sort of catharsis of that moment when he was down in that yeah. first set started weeping into yeah. his towel on the, on the tie break it, he's it's, a it's complicated a guy you know and, and he's, he's a fascinating, fascinating guy. guy fascinating, fascinating complicated, complicated guy. guy and i think that you know ultimately in every single one of the endeavors in which he's taken that is separate and apart from the tennis and he does seem different than when you look at a roger or a rafa where there's no question to me that for them, like the tennis is the priority and that everything else melts away for those things. And they try to stay focused on that, and which isn't a bad thing. I mean, I, I don't mean that as a knock in any way. Um, but with Novak, obviously, there is this, whether you agree or disagree with what he's doing or what he's saying and whatever, uh, it, I, I genuinely believe that Novak thinks that in every situation he is being a white knight. I mean, that he genuinely, I don't think that there's a cynical side of him necessarily that's trying to, you know, yeah, I, 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 that's not ever been my reading of it. Now, it, where, how it comes off to people and how it's interpreted and how it's, it's perceived, 
you know, that's, you know, sometimes the message doesn't get across or sometimes the causes are not the causes that endear you to other people. But I do think that he thinks that he is constantly, you know, that is that a Game of Thrones gif? I don't know where that gif comes from, where like the army's coming down and the guy like takes out his sword to like fight back the entire army of people that are running towards him. I think that Novak thinks that's what he is. And he thinks that he's like the last bastion of like progress. Oh, it comes or, from a place of righteousness. It does. Sure. It definitely comes from a place of righteousness. Righteousness. That's true. But I, I don't think that he me- thinks that he's, I don't think that he means badly. He just, no. you know, it just, whatever. Anyways. So insofar as that's the case, like, yeah, that's like an incredible, you're spreading yourself so thin that, you know, athletes yeah. talk nonstop about, I don't, I mean, I, I don't read books because it, it drains my brain. <laughs> for matches which okay but like that's if if you're talking about professional athletes thinking that what in the world are you doing Novak and I say that with all the respect in the world of kind of like I I mean tip my cap that like you're not you know just being solo tunnel vision on the tennis but I think that when that all leads me to this one thing though like I think um Sasha Osmo uh tweeted the, the translation from um the last question in Serbian press which was mm-hmm. about I don't know. I can't remember what the question about was about, but Novak began speaking about kind of his family and obviously he has two kids and everything. And, and he broke down kind of in tears and then did the press conference kind of talking about how he promised his family. I, I could be paraphrasing here and I apologize if I get this wrong, but this is what I, I took from it was kind of like, I, I promised them that I would spend more time with them. Yeah. And I think that in that moment, he kind of like, my reading of it was just kind of like this acknowledgement of like, yeah, like what this has taken from him, this quest, and that it ultimately failed. Yeah. That fucking sucks. Like, pardon my Serbian. But, <laughs> you know, like, that's terrible. That's, 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 that's a lot to have to kind of deal with when you're talking about, yeah. yeah, like, time you didn't get to spend with your family, with your son, with, you know, like, all these sorts of things. And all for this, arguably... I'm not saying it is, but arguably selfish quest. I think also, like, you know, I would push back a little bit on just framing it in because I don't know how he's framing it as a failure. I do think he's proud of what he achieved. Oh, I believe year. that. Sure. I, I think I think that he's honestly was honestly delighted and moved by the reception he got in that. But final. and I will push back, though, on this because I, I'm just going to defend what I said. Do you think yeah. that if after the French Open or even after Wimbledon? Somebody told him, so, "Yeah, you're not going to win." No, he he wouldn't he, he wouldn't take that. No, he wouldn't take that. So that's why I mean no. by failure. I, I mean it's a hard word, but that's what I'm I saying. I understand. I understand. Yeah, you're right. No, and it goes back to what we're saying. What we were saying in the last episode on the women about like Naomi. You know, like when you're a champion, you you sort of get conditioned to see everything short of winning. Well, no, to see to see, to see winning as a relief and everything short of it. No, as no, no, no. This is I I told I totally set that I set that as a separate thing. I'm saying that like okay. with Novak, if you were to tell him that the sacrifices that you are making, like after Wimbledon, the sacrifices that you are making with respect to your time, with respect to the time with your family, with respect to all these other things will ultimately lead you to be the US Open runner up. And get no medals. Yeah, would you take yeah. it? And that is, I think, what what hits heavy. Not that he didn't, he's not a, ch- he's a champion, he failed. I mean, that's going to happen all the time. Like that's just being a professional athlete. But I think that this hits a little bit harder because A, his tank is already empty. So obviously yeah. the emotions are going to be a lot rawer, but, but also in that, I don't know, like I, 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 put, I try and put myself in other people's situations and try to be empathetic. And 
and sympathetic and like I, it, that would crush me if if you I'm were sure to tell me that like you know like all these sacrifices that you would not even think twice of making if you get the payoff yeah but i'm telling you you're going to make these crushing sacrifices and it's not going to pay off is it worth it i mean no and in, in that ultimate situation when you're talking about family like it's kind of like I mean, it's not even one of those like, oh, the real victories are the, are the friends we made along the way. It's like, no, I would have just not, I would have spent more time with my family and lost in the quarterfinals of the US Open because it's the same fucking thing. Like, you know, like, so I I understand how heavy it hits. And, and that is to just say, like, when we t- when you were talking about kind of like, we don't know, we never know when somebody's last, who has won their last slam or, or et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and this applies to. 17 year olds, 18 year olds, and it applies to 35 year olds, you know, 40 year olds. I could understand if this takes a little while for him to like get over, you know, it's, it's, it's a rough one. And and thankfully, you know, season's over and hopefully, I mean, in a lot of ways, I hope that he just shuts it down regardless of everything. He does still have goals to push for. He's still one away from getting the sole holder of most men's grand slams and that will be motivating for him no i don't mean shut it down forever i'm just saying no 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 i'm I'm saying i I do i do think like i i mean even just going to next year i think he will not have trouble finding motivation oh yeah no 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 next year i'm not concerned about him on that i'm just saying that like right now with everything like maybe just maybe just chill out for the next you know three months until until australia rolls around and um you know get back onto the swing of things but kind of like focus on on filling the tank and putting yourself in a position where, where you're happy again. And, and, and not, I don't, I don't question his hunger. I mean, his, his hunger will always be there. And 21 is a massive, massive, massive number. So, you know, I get that, but I don't think the guy needs to go to, uh, Torino. Is that where things are these days? Mm -hmm. Okay. Turin. Turin. Yeah. Turin. Uh, I don't think he necessarily needs to go to Turin or, or Bercy or any of that. Like, I mean, just, Hang it up. See how he feels. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, just hang it up. Why? I, I don't know. Why? He does He does seem to have given up on the number one ranking completely. Actually, there's something interesting, and he still holds it. I, but once he crossed that record, he's very, He's as I learned this earlier, he's very records motivated. Getting that most weeks at number one was a big deal to him and became a big deal in Serbia. I don't think it was something people were honestly spending that much attention mm-hmm. on outside of him and Serbia. But when he got to 311 weeks at number one, it was a huge deal for him, huge deal for, for Serbia. It's like national holiday there. And he said something after when I he said something at, at, during his post final press conference. He was like, "The I don't know." It's like, "Oh, is Medvedev number one now?" He like openly asked, "Like, did Medvedev get number one?" It was unusual for Djokovic to have like checked out so totally on that conversation. He didn't know that's interesting. He, yeah. And he's still comfortably ahead in the rankings, but wasn't sure. He knew Medvedev was, had been close to points this year. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. Um, one other last sort of thought on Djokovic, which is less existential, I think. What do you think it is about Djokovic and New York where he's been so much less successful at the U.S. Oh, Open? Oh, I have an answer Espe- Especially one. in U.S. Open finals. Because he's like 3-5 and five or 3-6 and six in finals at the U.S. Open compared to Australia where he's like 9-0. and oh. What are your thoughts? I think a big one is just, I think that it's very, it's often very underrated or not discussed enough that the U.S. Open is the last slam of the year. Mm-hmm. That matters. That's a lot of tennis that's been in your body by that time. And Novak's, you know, you don't go when winning the Jokimon and, you know, winning more, more grant, more masters titles and being number one for whatever 311 consecutive weeks by selectively playing. Yeah. 
you are building a career of always being in action. Yeah. And I think that that's a really big thing for Novak. I think that, you know, as opposed to like a Rafa who occasionally kind of just like checks out during sections of the season, or it's like, you know, not that he checks out, but like for whatever reasons, whether health or he's absent or, you know, obviously as as Rogers has gotten older, he's much more selective. It's a little bit different, but I think that that's a really significant thing. And, And I think that, you know, it's why, for example, you know, uh, on the women's side at the U.S. Open, you have typically seen in in the last few editions of the of the tournament players who don't play a ton of tennis throughout the season winning the U.S. Open. Yeah, I mean it. It, it twenty eight. I mean twenty eighteen. You can kind of discount because Naomi was a full time player at the time, but before that, I mean Sloan. You know, parachuting in and 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 getting it, and then 20, 2019 Bianca coming in off of like not playing effectively the middle of the se- the season, and twenty twenty like Naomi just coming in and, and grabbing that, and now twenty twenty one Emma Raducanu. You know, I think yeah. that I think that it makes a difference, and and you see like why is Ash like choking the you know these 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 closeouts? She looks a little bit flat, like Kachikova running out of steam. I think that there's a lot of that that goes into the open in terms of and and the city itself is so draining. Um, and the process yeah. of playing that tournament is so draining with the commutes and things like that, that it's, it's yeah. very hard to recharge your battery. So if you're going in with a compromised battery, as it were, like an iPhone battery that's been, you know, four years old, that just doesn't that charge all the way anywhere um, and drains super quickly. I think that that's I think that that's really, really tough. Um, and then the other question, the other thing as well is is uh, that I'll just bring up is like um, I did this story uh, just about how Ash and Simona and Garbinier have all won the natural court slams, but they haven't won hard court slams despite being incredible hard court players. Like they, they win yeah. WTA hard court tournaments, like no problem. And one of the big things I think for each one of them is precisely that, is that, and, and I think that um, Garbine said it, she's like on hard court, everything's equal. So like everybody else's game, like clay and, and, and grass, you kind of can eliminate sections of the field because they're just going to suck on those events, those, you know, so technically, weirdly, the field is a little bit smaller at Roland Garros and, and certainly Wimbledon. Yeah. Yeah. Wimbledon. But yeah, exactly. It's changed at Roland Garros. Obviously it's a lot more depth there now because more people realize that's a section of the season that they play. So they're now better at clay, but I think that there's a little bit of that where, where like, okay, so then the top players who've been playing nonstop and winning, um, you know, have kind of dissipated batteries and then you, the, the, the surface kind of, uh, you know, is an equalizer. And then at that point, it's just chaos rules as, as we say in the board game uh, community. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get the Botiches and you get the Alcaraz and you get like, you know, that sort of stuff. And so, yeah, it doesn't. Bo- 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 t- Bob. Bob. We'll get the Bob. We'll get Bob. The Bob. We have a whole segment on the Bob. Be the Bob. But yeah, Sorry, that's, my, but that's that my word you said, but that's my theory. That's my theory on why it's just, I think it's just difficult to win the U S open for players who play yeah. a lot. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. No. And you're right. And and there's an interesting yeah, group of those women. I mean, like Garbina hasn't even made a quarterfinal at the U S open, which is crazy. It's wild. So Ash hasn't been passed around a 16, obviously smaller yeah. data set. Simona had that whole string of just like crap draws, but also just kind of like, you know, got serve and volleyed off the court by Taylor Townsend, Drew Sharapova in her first U.S. Open or first yeah. slam since coming back, you know, uh, uh, got Kanepied on Armstrong. I mean, it was just like brutal draws. So, but has made a semifinal here. But ultimately, yeah, I mean, between 
the three of them, they've made two Australian Open finals. That's as close as they've each gotten. And arguably, Garbinier and Simona probably should have won those matches. I mean, they're pretty darn close. Arguably. I mean, arguably. Yeah. Yeah. I believe so. But yeah, weird. But yeah, all that is just to say, to the extent that anybody will deign to take, you know, women's uh, tennis as a a... a helpful indicator of what what could potentially happen on the men's side as well i i think that it's a pretty fair um description. i am i'm all for complet between the two uh and it's united let's get, let, let's get to at last our champion daniel medvedev wins it collapses to the ground left l2 he is what a, a, king. a a troll king of, of the highest order and i i said it i i tweeted sort of half jokingly or more than half at the real moment he won the U.S. Open in 2019 when he was sort of ugging on the crowd. But there's something about Medvedev that he just seems so in control of himself or just like sort of it just has, has this way of like reading things and reading the game and reading the sport. And he's just smart in this way that's really different and refreshing. Very interesting guy to talk to, very insightful, very like wry and funny and clever. And all these things you don't always get that often in tennis, honestly. And he is, yeah, he's a, he's a delight. And this is, a, you know, this this is number two. And the very clear number two, someone on paper, is very clearly the heir apparent being number one. I mean, it feels like, it felt like yeah. a big upset in some ways at the time. But Medvedev has been building towards this. He's won pretty much every other big tournament, especially his inter- interesting looking at his sort of titles. He's an incredibly good second half of the season player, weirdly. Yeah. He's very not good in the first half, but he's won Canada, he's won Cincinnati, he's won US He's Open a diesel. Now, he's he's a hardcore diesel. He's won, he's won Bear C, he's won year-end championships, or World War Finals, whatever they call it now, ATP Finals. It's 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 a great title for him, and his tennis looks, is is not, like, it's interesting, it's, I, I don't love people, probably know, like, the people who stand way back to return serve. But, you do like, hate he, it. He, I do hate it, but he comes forward really quickly, and he's, yeah, he's, he's clever. I just love watching him hit the ball. From anybody else, I just love those like weird, funky mechanics hitting tennis balls. He's someone I just enjoy watching play on that very pure, basic level, and I think this is a hugely deserved title. And I'm happy for him. I think he's a. I don't know what he's. I don't know if there's like a this ushers in a Medvedev era of any kind. I don't know what the future holds necessarily, but this was something that was definitely achieved very meaningfully well in both the sh- sort of longer term, like I said building resume and also the shorter term and he was dominant through this term he had a relatively easy draw should be said but he only lost one set to bob the whole way so legends only exactly so anyway so he he rolled and he's a deserving champion and i think will be someone who the sport can be pretty happy with yeah no i mean i an unabashed uh medvedev supporter i i like watching him play and he is he's bants in a human being Mm. You know, like like the way that he plays, the way that he is, like all the decision making, he is a a reactor of the highest order. He see, you know, you can throw whatever you want, kitchen sink at him, and he will come up with something special. Like he won't even. Whereas I feel like with Novak, Novak is also very much obviously the same thing. But um, I also feel like Novak's a little bit more kind of. Um, I always use this phrase, but the player's player, like he makes the percentage play, not in a boring way, but he does the right thing all the time. Yeah. Medvedev is always kind of like a, I see what the right thing is, but what if I could pull this off? 
There's more whimsy to them. There's a whimsy, whimsy. Yeah, there's some whimsy. There's some wit in the way that yeah. Medvedev is as a person in interviews. I love watching his press conferences. I love watching his interviews. I think he's incredibly smart, articulate, uh, very funny, very self-deprecating, but also in his game. I think that his game is very witty in the same way where, yeah, you serve me out wide. I'm going to try and go around the around the post and just remind you never to hit that again. Like, you know, Hitting like... Around the post on a return? Uh, again, absolutely. You should not Flat. be standing there, but ridiculous. Flat. Like with yeah. tons of margin, like the ball ended up like two feet inside the baseline going around the, 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 the post. Oh my God. It was so annoying. I tweeted that. Like I've never seen anyone hit a return around the net before. I got, it felt like hundreds of replies being like, oh, this happened all the time. Like people did not understand the word return in the tweet. I was like, oh my gosh, you guys, it's a return. Here's the, the thing. Return is a special thing. I just want to circle back, you know, because I like, like 30 Rock and Arrest Development, two of my favorite shows, com- comedic shows, you know, you kind of circle back to, 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 to jokes Running jokes. Words mean something. Mm-hmm. There are technical definitions. And in tennis, there's a technical definition of what a return is. A return is pretty specific. Yeah. It's very specific what that means. It is not a shot from the baseline. Like, that's different than a return. It, re- people are just using it as a shot. Yes. That's the word you're using it as a shot. People just did not comprehend it. <laughs> and it was deeply annoying. Anyway, yeah, I sorry. Just, I just think words mean something. Um, but... Um, yeah, so I think that that's very Medvedev. That's what I enjoy watching about him because even though ultimately maybe he's kind of just doing what everybody else is doing, like all the top players, you know, mm-hmm. but there is, yeah, whimsy is the right word in terms of, of what he's he's doing out there and how his mind thinks. And there's a little bit of playfulness of, very of playful. you know, very playful. kind of like, I just want to know if I can do this. And I was joking with Howard Bryant because there was that section in the third set where, or maybe even second set where Medvedev was just playing terribly, but he started mm. drop shotting Novak, but hitting really shitty drop shots and just like whatever. And, and slowly the momentum started to shift a little bit. And that's where it got a little bit closer in the third set. But um, I was telling, I was telling Howard, I was like, if this is, if there's any such thing as a reverse heat check, this is what it is, which is Medvedev going uh, typically for those who don't know, heat check is a term in basketball typically, uh, which is, when you're you're just making ba- baskets all the time that you you decide to do something so crazy just to see am i that hot like how hot yeah. am i you know like steph curry does it all the time like you know what i'm just gonna shoot from midcourt do i have it today it's like oh it went in okay i got it today you know or at least for the next 10 minutes so a reverse heat check to me is what medvedev did which is can i get away with playing this shitty like if i if yeah. i if i play this badly am i still gonna win games and he was like he, he it was like break points down and whatever. And he was able to save them off. And, you know, it was a reverse trolling. He's, he's a troll. But he's having that conversation. That's what I mean, though, when I say he's yeah. Vance in human form. It's not like he's just like trolling, just like fuck with people, because there are people who do that. But he's like having an active dialogue with people in his head. Mm. And this goes down right to the epic legendary celebration, the dead fish FIFA uh, L2 plus left. Um, that he did on match point because as he explained in his answer to Reem in the press conference, that was in conversation with the guys that he had been talking to in the locker room, like the locker room attendants, which I kind of love, like this guy who was in there bantering with a bunch of people who are complete strangers to him on day one of this event and talking, oh, they play FIFA, oh, the dead fish, da, 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 and him thinking, you know what, I'm going to do it. And it was for them. It wasn't for everyone. It was for them. And I I, I really like that. There's something... Yeah. The, the, Medvedev's a complicated guy. 
because he's not not problematic, you know, historically. Um, mm-hmm. And he can his mouth. It's can all get, relative in that ATP top five, well, though. I tell you, fair, <laughs> fair. Um, but he's also, you know, uh, he can get himself into trouble. He can do stupid shit in court that I'm just like, oh, I freaking hate it when you do that. Like, you know, like things like that. Be very condescending. All these sorts of things. But not there, that, yeah. But no, like to umpires to. Yeah, sure. To umpires, yeah. You know what I'm right. saying? Like, you know. Yeah. Um, but there is at the same time this very personable side of him, not unlike Curios, I think, in a little bit of ways, where he 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 seems to, despite being this like fluent in French Russian dude who's like, you know, a multimillionaire, like I just I just really loved the idea that he like connected with the locker room attendants at the US Open, who you know are like New Yorkery you know oh yeah yeah i just i just really liked that and that was like a very endearing little fact he he seems incredibly comfortable in his own skin yes right so many tennis players seem to be driven by insecurity on different levels Mm -hmm. you know i think Djokovic is not not part of that and medvedev just seems comfortable he seems so at ease he seems so willing to go there whatever it may be and the sort of self-belief and and everything yeah and just um again why i for me for myself find it really enjoyable to watch Medvedev is, is precisely what you're saying in terms of like, you know, I'm, I'm not weighed down by his insecurities. I'm not weighed because he doesn't, he just goes out there and plays. And in a lot of ways, he's like, like the ultimate, like right now amongst that ATP top 10, like the ultimate professional, like the hmm. sense that I get from Medvedev is kind of like, I'm a professional tennis player. He's ambitious and whatever, but ultimately he's there to play tennis as a job. He's very good at it. But I don't get the sense that, like, you know, losing is a fraught thing for Medvedev. It's a thing no, that he's happens. Not somebody, he's not somebody who seems to pour, put his, health, his self-worth into, into his Right. Results. And he just kind of goes about his business. He wins, great. He loses, that's fine. Like, whatever. He's magnanimous in defeat. You know, I think his, his speech, um, his losing speech in Australia, kind of, like, talking about how great Novak was and how Novak took him under his wing and, like, practiced with him and all these sorts of things was like really cool. He was, uh, he expressed his opinion about the goat uh, debate. Uh, uh, I think mm-hmm. it's funny. He won't say it, but he said it mm-hmm. like he said it on court and he was like, he made a big deal of it. Like, like I've never said this before, but to me, Novak's the greatest of all time. But then when he was asked to confirm it in the press conference, he's like, I said, what I said. he basically was like, I said what I said, I'm not going to say right now. Like almost like, I don't want it in transcripts. Like I don't want to hear it, but like, this is what I feel like, you know, um, but yeah, so I, yeah, I mean, it's, it felt due to me. He's absolutely 100% like the world number two. Um, yeah. you know, he doubles down. He's an incredible hardcore player. So like, it just made sense that, that, you know, Australian open final U S open title, he's going to be, you know, duking it out with Novak for these, for these, for these two titles, I think for, for, for a little while. I don't think she has nearly his on-court whimsy, but there's a lot of similarity in sort of the bluntness and the self-assuredness with Pliskova and Medvedev. Ooh, I, I like I that. Yes, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I see yeah. what you're saying. Just, but that's what I mean, right? Like what we like about Kai is she's yeah. like a freaking pro. Like yeah, exactly. she doesn't take it home, and therefore you can just like watch her matches. Doesn't take herself too seriously. Yeah. Doesn't, and is willing is willing to make jokes about things. Is like it's just there. It's a healthy attitude towards tennis. So you can career. just watch their matches yeah. and enjoy the tennis and not like worry about oh no like i get really stressed out when steph is losing or when he's winning like either way i'm just stressed out for him i'm stressed out for novak i'm stressed out for yeah, team when fraud. he was like 
you know, doing it when he was playing, I guess, uh, you know, Ogier, like whatever. Like I I'm stressed for these people because I know how much they want it. Um, and so it's just really nice to just have that breath of fresh air, which is the Medvedev, which is the Pliskova of just like, okay, yep. I can just enjoy it. <laughs> let's actually talk about, uh, if you know other Medvedev thoughts, let's talk briefly about Felix who made sure. the semifinals. Uh, Felix Oje Aliot's team uh, had a nice win over Francis Tiafo in the fourth round, uh, winning a four setter there. It was a sort of fun night session match that Crowd Nash got into. Not lost some people also. That's pretty cool uh, to see two black men playing a big stage match on Arthur Ashe Stadium. Uh, Tumani tweeted about that as well. I mean, there's a lot of sort of like cool symbolism there. Anyway, but back to Felix. I, I was saying this in one of the group chats. There's something about Felix that I feel like I'm not alone here. And he had a great tournament. First slam semifinal. I don't mean to immediately start ripping on him because that's just unfair to him. But like, he's so unconvincing. Something about him. I don't know if it's the record in finals, if it's what he does on court. I don't know. There's just something about him. Like, I just don't. He le- he just doesn't inspire confidence for some reason. For this person who's been talked about being the next best for so long, since he was a 14-year-old, whatever he was when he won his first challenger points. Um, what what do you make of Felix? That, that, again, that feels overly negative for someone who's still so young and is one of the nicest guys on tour. Um, super, super sweet, nice guy. Um Mechel attendee also. Yes. Um, so which means he's one of the nine in the top 20 who are vaccinated. Only nine. Um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, so I don't know. What, what do you make of uh, Felix? Feta? Theoretically a breakthrough. They didn't have like a really signature win here. The draw kind of opened up for him and he got a retirement from Alcaraz. But I, you know, what do you make of, of Felix? I am hesitant to put on record my thoughts on Felix. Only because I feel like I have been fooled. I feel like okay. for so long um, I was hearing about Felix. I hadn't watched him play. I just heard there was this Canadian teenager. and A to the outsider. A to yeah. the outsider. Uh, Canadian teenager. He's incredibly gifted. He's so good for his age. He's the future. All these. Like, I heard all the hype. And then I think the first match I actually ended up watching him play was maybe against Isner Miami. Isner Miami semi. Yep, that was one. Yep wasn't impressed i was a little bit confused but then i was also like okay but he's young like let it go it's okay but since then i've watched more of his matches um on the tour uh but specifically at slams he's still not somebody that i like tune in to watch at non-slams um and setting aside your point about the comp he doesn't inspire confidence which i buy into i'm not entirely convinced all the time that he'll close things out or that he'll whatever but also, just from, and I'm saying, I'm, on this, I'm speaking from a pure fan perspective. So this is separate than like being a writer, or, like having to like judge this objectively. But for me, like Felix, there's no charisma to his game. You know, like we just spent hmm. like 30 minutes talking about the wit and whimsy and just the way that we talk about Medvedev's game of just like, there's almost like this, this literary aspect to yeah. what he's doing yeah, his if he looks this game doesn't have a lot of character no it's very it's very technical it's very drilled like i see yeah. i see him play and i'm like wow that is somebody who has been taught by the best how to play t- the tennis yeah but it doesn't have this creativity it doesn't have this x factor it doesn't have this 
it's not that it's not dynamic because I think that he's, he, he is a dynamic tennis player and what he can do is great. I mean, you know, he's working on his net game, um, all that, but everything just looks drilled. Um, and it's hard for me to attach to it. It's hard for me to connect with, with his game as a book. Yeah. And I think that it really came across in the match against Francis, like watching that match, like, I, which I did from like front to back, I was like, God, like Francis, like, all of it looks bad, but I can't not watch it. Like there's so many technical yeah. issues with the way that he plays and, you know, he makes, sometimes he doesn't make the right decision, but God. All court charisma for Francis is off Talk about charisma. Talk about X factor. Talk about, yeah. and not, I'm not talking about his, his personality, but even his game. I don't know what's going to happen next. I, you know, there's just something about him that pulls you in and puts you and and, and, he, and he's like, get on my back and watch this. Like, you know? And it's such, it's unfair to compare Felix to that because sometimes that's an innate thing and maybe that's just not Felix's personality. I get it. But yeah, his game is just a little bit too drilled for my, too technical um, and not creative enough do you think, for me. Do you think that he needs to add flavor to his game in whatever way it may be in order to break through and win one of these things? Or can you... No, win. I think he can and win without still, it. Still, you can win I think he can it? win without it. I, I think that, like, I'm not saying that Felix isn't going to win things. I think that, like, again, I think he's incredibly gifted. I think, obviously, you know, he's got good coaching, good people in his box. Like, you watch him play, you're like, that's how you hit a forehand. That's how you hit a backhand. That's how you hit a volley. Saying, to- saying tone in it all, investing in someone else's career. Yeah, that's a that's a big, vote, a, of that's a big yeah. vote of confidence. But at the same time, um, I don't know. I like a little bit of chaos in my players. You know, I like a little bit of kind of like, oh, I wasn't expecting that one, good or bad. Danger. A little danger. danger, A little danger, you know. So Felix doesn't really deliver that for me. So, again, it's somebody who, like, I hope does well. I think he's great for the game. I think that, like, obviously he's such a nice guy. Um, You don't root against Felix to be a big deal, like, 100%. But he's just not somebody that I would tune in. Like, I saw, I think somebody in our chat was like, um, uh, comparing him to kind of Grigor mm. a little bit, but Grigor, there's chaos to Grigor's game. That yeah. improvisation and more, fl- and more flourish, there's flourish, this flair, the shot making that, you know, you, you're not confident. I, I think that I understand the comparison with them in terms of like, you're not confident they're going to close things out or win big matches, but there's still a flair. I just like watching Grigor play regardless of results. And so there's a little bit of that. So, yeah, so that's just my honest opinion on the Felix thing. I mean, I think that he's so good. It's just not somehow the package doesn't work for me. But that's what's the great thing about tennis is that there are so many other players that you can attach yourself to and tune in to watch. So that's fine. But Francis, big up on him. What a tournament. Oh, yeah. Francis had what a tournament. Amazing. Francis, like, like unbelievable. Really got his win over, over Rublev, which happened way Ridic. late in, in the middle of the night crazy and then he like choked that match several times and yet still managed to get himself back that's a good that's win that's a great win rublev. rublev that's a great yeah, yeah. win beating rublev he's been winning so much lately um did not really see that win coming for francis honestly and yeah and and him and he could have won that third set against felix where he lost in a tie break um had chances didn't quite get there and yeah uh, second and then yeah anyway francis i feel like really kind of got christened as a genuine like box office marquee night session kind of guy because Francis? Know, yeah, 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 yeah. like Francis yeah, yeah. because Francis um, you put him on night session ash every time if you can 
Oh, he's yeah, he's he's, Box he's showtime. Yeah, yeah. In, in that in that sort of in that Malfisi way, but he's American, mm-hmm. so it makes more sense than Ash as a as a, as the thing. He'll just take you on a ride. He's he's good value. Um, and yeah, he's improved the danger. so Everything much. Looks... I have to yes, say, yeah. like I I I was never really when he was kind of coming up in all of the like back in the Rock Nation days. I was never a believer. Early I was, was never was a believer in, in Francis. I was just like watching him play, and I'm like, I don't know, man. Like that's. It has a lot of hitches and a lot of swings, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um. And it was really just a technical issue. But 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 then watching him play like at the U.S. Open, I caught some of the Rublev match and watched all the 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 Felix match. I was like, you know what? Good on you, dude. Like, he's improved incredibly. Um. And I love to see that. It's great. The, the discipline is there. Yeah, yeah. Everything. It's just he's trending in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. So good to see Francis have a good result. I think everybody's sort of rooting for. Francis across and loved what he said in his um, press conferences about kind of why what the point is and and how it's it's about the show and it's about inspiring generations and things like that that's just good stuff you that's what you want to hear from from these players yeah. and, you know we it, as writers as well we get so obsessed with like wins and losses and results and slams and titles and things like that but it's so it's so refreshing when you have those moments which we had I think a, a couple of times at the U.S. Open of, of players just being like it's the show, man. Like that, that's what we're here for. We're here to put on a show. And, and I, I really like hearing that from, from, from players. I think that's a good thing. Um, briefly, we'll mention the other semifinalists here. Uh, Sasha Zverev. I don't have much to say about him personally, but I will say, I think the ESPN coverage of him was embarrassing. Absolutely embarrassing and a complete disservice to viewers. And they should be embarrassed. Uh, Carlos Alcaraz uh, made the quarterfinals here. Uh, had a breakout win over Stefano Tsitsipas in the third round in a five-setter. Talk about, like, the crowd getting behind the other round. <laughs> that was they were nuts. going <laughs> nuts for for Carlos. And we'll get to more bathroom gate stuff in a bit. Um, but, like, people just showed up. <laughs> there was a video someone posted of when when Tsitsipas was playing Manorino in the round before, of these, like, three girls who were sitting watching him in the upper deck. Who were like, oh, we just came to see him go to the bathroom. <laughs> Like and then he got went to the bathroom and they got all excited. That was like the moment of the match for them. Anyway, so this is a fast ride through the first week of the oh tournament. Wild. We'll get to him briefly. But Carlos Alcaraz, I I think his deal is pretty real. I was very impressed by him. I went out and watched him his first round win over Arthur Rinderknecht. I don't know if that's how you pronounce that. And or second round win, sorry, second round against Rinderknecht. Uh, first round he beat Cam Nori, which is a good win. Cam Nori had a very solid summer. Yeah, winning a fifth set tiebreak against his pass, uh, then backing it up with a win over Gojovic and then having injury issues and whatnot. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's been really impressive and it's, it's nice to see someone young and ready to do things, to have... It was the story of the 18-year-olds. I mean, the 18-year-olds were... Layla told you to turn 19 midterm, which is just confusing. Don't do that. Don't have birthdays. hate that. Like, it's like oh, how Ostapenko doesn't so count as annoying. a teenager champion because it was her birthday on the final. Bugs me. Right. She was 19. Ugh, it's annoying. But anyway, but the three 18-year-old story of Alcaraz, Raducanu, and, and uh, Fernandez was there and he was very much a part of that and and in game and just seems again we don't i don't know we don't know him very well but the early signs and he's someone who's been very hyped also but early signs uh positive return he had a lot to like he seemed he seemed to embrace the moment and yeah this possibly was, was great yeah no i think I, I tweeted like um because i've seen his results and i've seen obviously his name a lot and a lot of like next rafa like all these sorts of things like i've just seen i but i'd never seen him play 
Um, yeah. So when I watched him against the past, like I think I tweeted like, oh yeah, no, I'm tuning in. So this one's like a good one. Not like one of the ones where you guys are like, he's so good. And I tune in and I'm like, I don't know. Um, so like the hype was real and it was legit. I think like he was so impressive against the past and just not only in the way that he competed, but that forehand is, is, is crazy. The balance between the forehand and the backhand side, the decision-making just um, the yeah. positivity in the way that he played um, how he interacted with the crowd as well. Again, we talked about charisma. I didn't think I was going to get yep. that. There was a little bit of kind of like, I thought that he was going to be just like, like in his own, like just like a tennis guy, yep. like, you know, not, not a joyfulness yep. in the way that he played, but there was a lot yep. of joy in the way that he was playing, at least in New York, um, which I really appreciated. So yeah, no, I, I, I definitely came out of New York being like, oh, wow, no, there is, there, there there's that pipeline on the ATP side, which yep. is great. Um, at last. Yeah. So yeah, no, I that was a great win for him. Bummed that he couldn't really compete in the next one, but um, yeah. lots lots to be excited about with Alcaraz. I think that's that's legit. It, it was hard to watch him play and be like, oh no, there are so many variables as would as that would undermine his uh, future career. It was like, no, I think he's pretty much got everything. It's just a matter of time. So yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, matter of time for him. He's he's on the right track, and again, has the sort of flavor already a bit. You know, yeah, sense sense it growing and stuff, and an identity as a player. Yeah. Playing that kind of power tennis, which really impressed. Uh, Zizipas, yeah. Afterwards, he's saying Zizipas was who can be very hyperbolic about opponents, but he um, saying that Felix is the best player he's ever played after losing to him five times in a row, basically. Uh, anyway, uh, although now he's beaten Felix a whole bunch of times in a row, Zizipas. Uh, anyway, almost with the other quarterfinalist here, obviously uh, deep, not friend of the show because we've barely met him, but mascot of the show, Bob Vandeslav, Bobtik van der Zandschamp, who makes the quarterfinals, beating. Uh, other show icon Casper Rude in the second round. Don't know uh, in uh, in four. Then also not the not the worst draw. Honestly, he got a, a Taberner, Rude, Bagness, and then beats and went to five setter uh, against Diego Schwartzman on Armstrong. And then is the only guy to take a set off Medvedev in the whole tournament. Um, had not met, I talked to Bob for the first time during this tournament with his press after he won his fourth round. Um, pretty much as expected. It's Bob, you know, straight straightforward. Just Bob. Guys, just to, uh, just I will explain this one time and then I'm never going to mention this again but the bob okay. joke okay because yes, people were getting mad about like they were thinking that it was disrespectful that I just wouldn't say botic bandesanchel whatever um and the bob joke is literally for the dutch my dutch compatriots my friends and ben we have a close dutch we have a, du- a close dutch follower and this came about because of that so basically for those who have I think was it the patreon that this happened Oh no, it was like at some point where we came up with Bob Bandislap, when Botich started to come up a little bit more in, in, uh, we, on draws. And like, we all kind of saw it. We're like, that's going to be a really tough one. So at some point I just came up jokingly amongst us of Bob Bandislap because it rolls off the tongue and it just sounds so ridiculous as a name. Anyways. Yeah. So I was in Amsterdam a couple of, uh, I guess a couple months ago, month ago and driving on the freeway. And saw all these signs about Bob. Like they were just mentioning Bob. And I don't know Dutch. So I'm like, what is what does that mean? And I was told that the sign says, and I could be translating this wrong, but if you are the Bob, say it out loud. And I'm like, this makes no sense. But apparently Bob is slang in Dutch for a designated driver, the sober driver, right? 
So this then became very funny to me because there's nothing more like when I see Bob, when I see him play, I'm like, well, you're just a reasonable man who plays tennis. Like not a lot of flair, not a lot of, you know, not a lot of, a lot of chaos within him. Nope. He's just out there doing his thing, doing it reasonably, doing it safely. And bless your heart. Being He's being the Bob. So that's where the Bob thing now is. Uh, that's how, that's the origin of the Bob. That's why when Bob does well, I say, I yell, like, be the Bob, say it out loud. And to be fair, for all the people who are mad about it, all the Dutch love the joke. Like Raymond Sloiter liked my tweet. Like Abe Coyle of, of, Fox, of uh, Eurosport liked my tweet. Like the Dutch get it. They understand what I'm going for here. So and as I was saying, pump here, the brakes. The, the Dutch, the Dutch is a group. It's still okay to make. Fun. Also, that they have a good, they have a good sense of humor. So they're fine. so Bob Vanderslap is is it's it's fine. It's fine. Nice guy, nice guy. Uh, you know, immediately the first question was how do you pronounce your name? <laughs> he knows that it's an, he knows it's an issue. He's like, are you sure? But I didn't understand that other except to get like video clip of him pronouncing it only because it is. Pretty, that was a bad question. It's pronounced on the ATP website. Like people, I know it was not. People were being a, a little bit question. weird because like I saw some people like oh. The ATP should follow the WTA's lead. I was like, no, actually, I didn't want to say it, but the ATP has had those longer than we. Yeah, exactly. Like we kind of were late to the game, and Bob Bob's pronunciation is on is on the ATP is on his profile page. Oh, tick, by the way, not Bob. I know. I'd say I. I know. I know. I know. Anyway, I know. Uh, so so good to see Bob there, and he's yeah, ranking getting up in the top hundred. First, another great run for a qualifier. He was a qualifier, also like uh, Red Kanu, quarterfinals for a qualifier. No small uh, fish. Uh, Jensen Brooksby going into fourth round players. Jensen Brooksby, uh, you watched, you said earlier, you watched his match against Djokovic or at least parts of it. I was so sold on Brooksby. You are so like Ben to the point where I just didn't want to watch Jensen Brooksby. Like so annoying was Ben's love for this guy that I was like, whatever. Like the hype just was like pushing me off the Brooksby train, but I was forced to watch it because I think it was the same night as Andres Kusakari, I think. Uh, there was a right, second. Yeah. There was a second. There's a women's night match. That it. sounds right. That sounds yeah. Right. And I just, I was like, all right, no, I get it. I get it. I get it. It's interesting. It's interesting. What What do you get? What do you get? What did you like? What did you I get? understood the chaos. I understood the the why you specifically would like it in the same way as how you were describing Medvedev is like loving watching his yeah. like wonky shots and stuff. That's very. I, I have described. I've described. I have described Brooksby as the love child game wise of Medvedev and Stefan. Yeah, but you. Which is a reference almost no one will get. This is my thing. That's why I hate. I, every off. time you say it, I roll my eyes because like nobody understands what you're saying. Like literally, <laughs> like you're trying. Yeah. Like it's like me. I know. It's like me talking about a band and being like, oh, you know, they're the love child of like the raincoats and, uh, <laughs> you know, um, I don't know, like uh, the split ends. Yeah. And like expecting people to know what the fuck I'm talking about. Are those real yeah, bands? Yeah, those are real bands. Yeah, split ends. Okay, oh, the raincoats yeah, are the raincoats are formative to uh, Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain's favorite band was the raincoats. And, sure. Uh, well, one of, and then the Vaseline's. Well, the Vaseline's were more his favorite band. Anyways, yeah, that's the equivalent of what you. Do. Every time you mention the Kozlov thing, I'm like Ben. This no is such. That. A wank like this is just you just like enjoying yourself saying it out loud like that's all it's not actually to communicate information <laughs> if, if anyone out there does know kozlov as a player um they'll get it anyway but yes medvedev half it's real you can see the medvedev yes half i see i understand the medvedev half in terms of just like yes just uh, creative shot making uh you know intelligence in terms of the uh, the where to place the ball and kind of like this ability physically to place the ball where he wants to place it by manipulating the his technique 
in a weird wonky way. Yeah. You know, like that's Medvedev's thing is like everybody makes fun of his weird like last minute adjustments to yank balls where he wants. But, to, he, does, but he doesn't he miss. He doesn't miss. He, it's yeah. going exactly where he wants to go. So Brooksby had a little bit of that. Um, I appreciated just kind of his like two sides of the coin, like blandness, which I say with all the love to Sacramento. Uh, but there was a sacramental mm-hmm. blandness on one hand, but on the other hand, yeah, like this willingness to like engage with the crowd and and to not just hide under the baseball cap and, you know, kind of do all that and really step up and have the moxie to just like never show any fear against Novak for those those first, you know, set that first set and a half. It was fun. It was really, really fun. And he got the crowd into it. I mean, it was, Ash was, Ash wanted to roar and and a lot of these unheralded players uh, gave them a reason and showed up and that was great. Yeah. It's great. Definitely. Absolutely. Uh, the one other sort of first week story I think we should talk about, because it's talked about so much, is about Cooing. what happened in the first round. Yes. With Stefano Tsitsipas and Andy Murray playing their first round match on an excellent first day session. It was fo- it followed the key Stevens opener in Ashes. was the second match of that day session. Uh, Murray gets up two sets to one. Loses in five after the fourth set. Sitsipas took a second off-court break of the match. It's gone for about eight minutes. I, I think we can talk about each of these players and the rules separately. I think they each have their own sort of interesting arcs within this story. Yeah, this became such a conversation point because, again, this is a kind of tournament story I guess people feel comfortable talking about in tennis. Like, oh, bathroom breaks. Like, this is something we can use to fill the air while ignoring other elephants in the room. Um, what, uh, what, do you, what do you make of this as a dialogue? in the tournament and being such a, a focus. I don't know. Is this an issue? Is it not? What are we doing here? Hmm. I think, okay, there's three, my quick off the top of my head. These are my three reactions to it, to the whole, okay. the whole situation. First and foremost is I think it's so absurd that Andy made it such a big deal. Like Andy, I love you to death, but you're also somebody who got distracted by a feather. Like, I don't understand why, you would make it known to the world how flipping much this bothered you. Like just the next from, day tweet was a lot. Yeah, just from a competitive perspective. I just was like, I don't know, man. Like I just I just would have just been like, I mean, we can do whatever he wants to do. Like whatever. It's within the rules. You know, maybe that we should look at the rules, but he didn't break anything. It's fine. Like, you know, like it was wild to me that 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 it bothered him as much as that he let it bother him as much as he did, even to the point of like do, asking for he a sarcastic so well in this yeah, match, and even asking for a sarcastic like medical timeout to the to the to the that was that funny. was funny, but it was at the same time gave you an idea of where his head was at in that fifth set, yeah. and and that was worrisome, yeah. you know. At the same time, like Andy, did you really take the court for a best of five match with one pair of shoes? Like when we're talking, that was weird. When we're talking about professionalism and be, you know, like oh, there's a little bit of, you know, like uh, what, you know, it's 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 not as clean cut as we wanted it to be. Despite the fact that we love Andy and we we champion Andy and we think that everything Andy has that he says, if it's an issue, then it's an issue. I'm not saying that it's not. Other people, but then like with other people, then piling on, it just got weird, you know. And then it it didn't. It became less about that specific incident, which seemed, you know, yes. Point number two, it does seem that this is a thing that Steph does. It's weird to me that now having been called out for it publicly in such a massive forum that he refuses to alter his behavior. That is just weird that's human behavior weird to me. Like, I, that doesn't make sense. Like, because I don't that's what got- think Steph is an asshole. But like, 
continuing to choose to do it is so trolly and jerky. It's 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 it's, it's odd to me. It, it's just odd. I don't think it's I don't think it's trolly because trolly is like wink wink like no one. Like, yeah yeah, yeah. Like true, that, true, right? true 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 true. I think Tsitsipas is just oblivious on some on some. But level he's not oblivious. How. Like well, he's defending he is, he is, himself. That, like, like he's not sitting there being like, he, "I have no idea." What but I think that he about. like doesn't understand. Again, this is what got me after I sort of pressed him more about it. And pressed after the second match, we took another long. <laughs> oh, break I forgot about that Arino moment. In, <laughs> that, in the uh, second, you in the second match. Yeah, but just like, and then get cut off by the moderator again. Who needs to calm down? Yeah, the just not if you like it, part of why this is such a big issue is because Andy Murray has so much goodwill and credibility right. in the sport, well earned, hard earned deservedly so and so for him to put so many chips down on this thing i think really amplified it and added a lot of fuel to this fire and i sort of said to steph essentially impressed like i'm just confused like who your influence are who you're listening to like if you don't take andy murray you know you know really harsh criticisms of this like to heart like who would you listen to like what right. what is going on here and if he just has this very black and white view like it's not against the rules so it's fine like just sort of rejecting the idea there could be any sort of sportsmanship or unwritten rules that people take to heart like that sort of seemed to be his defense which seemed to be missing the picture and again because it's having going on cincinnati too taking lots of long breaks in cincinnati um he definitely pushed back on what his opponent in the semifinal or semifinals there said about him texting uh which yeah that i still am confused as to like how that didn't get resolved like like i'm confused as to why that anyway but i was but i but it was a very sort of weirdly out of touch defiant and like not a good way month for Sitsipas, who also had a lot of goodwill and it's a popular well-liked guy and who really seemed to be burning a lot of that goodwill in the last month with his really strident vaccine comments in in cincinnati that he made there and then this stuff with the the breaks and stuff it just seemed out of character for him to like he's not somebody He's not that guy, like, but Medvedev. he doesn't want to be a villain. He does not want that. Yeah, yeah. I can. He he want. He does not want that at all. But he was just this sort of again this obliviousness or lack of understanding what was going on, and and sort of being stubborn about it too. I just feel like it was it was a bad month for him in a lot of ways, and I it was just not fun to watch him sort of uh, erode that sort of again well earned like yeah. It's a it's a tricky thing because you know on one hand I can see that he's so focused and so dialed in. Um, to his tennis and he's able to shut so many things out as we have, as yeah. we've seen in the past but at the same time we also know that he's an incredibly sensitive incredibly I'm hesitant to say the word thoughtful because that's loaded in different ways and people can take it in different ways but he thinks mm-hmm. you know he 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 does um so it just seemed odd to me just from again like from a completely human behavior um, standpoint that you are being booed for something one of the tour's greats has called you out on it. And yet you brazenly continue to do it yeah. with zero apology. That j- it just doesn't track as at least with it's, it just doesn't seem consistent with the stuff that I feel like I have a sense of, but yeah. you know, maybe I don't, you know, maybe, maybe it's, it's Al Davis, just win baby is, 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 is who he's listening to and who whispers in his ear and who tells him terrible facts that are yeah. unsubstantiated um, by a stopwatch. Like Andy Murray took a break at the fourth, between the fourth and fifth set of uh, the U S open. You know what I mean? Yeah. I know who, you know, we all know who told him that like, and it's yeah. just not a substantiated fact. So, you know, it's, it was, it was annoying to see it kind of happen that way with him. 
I hope he starts to understand that that part of winning with a capital W in this sport is actually not about the final set score and it's not about trophies, but there is Andy Murray is who he is because of he's because of a reason. And it's not because yeah. he, you know, has has well, a handful of slam trophies. At Wimbledon, yeah. You know, like, you know, you have an opportunity to I'm not saying that Steph is going to be Andy Murray, but I'm just saying like as an example of who people listen to, what influence those people therefore have over the sport, which I think that ultimately a lot of these young players want. It's not by doing stuff like this. Yeah. And, I, and by doing stuff like this, I don't mean don't take a don't take a, a toilet break. You can take a toilet break, take a toilet break, whatever. But then don't be in the press conference and just claim it was, it was within the rules. Be like, no, I really had to go. I'm sorry it took so long. Yeah. I really had to go. Like, no no be one's arguing the sort of like no one's arguing and there's some like weird um, we talk about him separately. Maybe Riley Pelka has some weird, like, anti-media take throughout the whole thing. When, like, I was like, okay, Riley, like, this was a story because Andy Murray made it a story, not because anyone in the media did. This was an Andy. If you think Andy Murray, if you if your nickname for Andy Murray is tennis media, okay, fair enough. But Andy like, Murray hasn't played was, enough matches to know Ben. He's never been in Riley Pelka's situation. He was like anyone who's like spent a day as a sportsman would know. And I put in my story like Andy Murray, who spent many days as a sportsman. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, so it was it was too easy. Right. Anyway. <laughs> No, but like, it, again, it's the obliviousness. It's not caring. And this is, again, when he like comes back on court being all la-di-da, just sort of like sauntering back on, going to get some water, sitting back down. That's where Andy really lost it when was when Sitzpah sat back down to like collect himself after having this like seven minute break. Yeah. Again, it's, just, it's the lack of concern for others is what really gets me here. Or awareness. It's, it's, concern, right, it's not awareness, that you're sweat, whatever. If you're sweating, you want to change, fine. It was interesting in the Alcaraz match, his third match, when he took a break again, the uh sort of court stewards or ushers whoever they are who's like occupy him like we're clearly rushing and they're like get in this like the closer bathroom to open right, the, the one that's right off get the in there court, go yeah. go go they like they like, rerouted him and he was back quicker he was back in like three minutes like again it doesn't take very long to change and i love to slow and stance around the whole thing so it's great yeah and topic. but like and, yeah anyway but, but it's a lot but it's, it's play this like he seems to have found this like newfound edge to him or something or just for defiance i just find honestly deeply unpleasant and i hope he shakes that off because I don't know who he's listening to now, but they're doing him no favors. Yeah, no. I mean, the other thing as well is like on the flip side of it, I think that one of the very disappointing things is, is from the fan side or the commentator side of, of, of watching everything go down um, is just how quick and easy everybody just kind of piled on and how quick and easy then every, you know, bathroom break became its own, you know, like spinoff show uh, in every single yeah. match. And, and then it became like all bathroom breaks are, 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 um, are scams. And that's, I don't like that either because. And all medical timeouts are scams. That's and all medical time. It's just simply not true. And we didn't get um, into this with Krejcikova on the women's show, but this was like conversation around her. Yeah. Yeah. That was deeply unfair. Uh, yeah. I thought it was incredibly unfair. And then there's a lot of things as well in terms of like, you know, for example, you talked about like, you know, um, uh, Sitsipas being led to that those bat those those uh, recovery rooms bathrooms that are right off the court like literally right when you step off the court on the left and right side there are two bathrooms and Krachikova when she was having her her medical issue was taken all the way back to the women's locker room mm-hmm. which is like an additional like 20 second walk honestly like around the corner past like whatever um these are things that fans on the outside don't know these are things that 
ideally commentators are paying attention to because I saw it because it's on the world feed, but I don't know if they saw it or because they're chatting and chatting. And then, you know, that information goes into people's American Express headsets. And, you know, those things are really problematic. I was, by the way, really surprised that Yelena uh, uh, Djokovic was wearing one in the She's final. She's worn it for years. She's worn it for years. I guess I so. I just like, why these... would you want to know? Don't, you don't want to hear it. You I got to say, this is this is a U.S. Open sort of take of mine in general. I think it's a really it's... underreported story. It, or like the... element of the U.S. Open. How yeah. do people at the U.S. Open listen to the commentary, which is fan yeah. feed of the commentary while they're in Ash? I just don't get the point. Like, why would you want to spend your time at a sporting event, honestly, hearing people talk about it. like it just has no appeal to me like oh you want the tv experience and like no like why would i, I want to be there well but also- maybe this, maybe this goes to my third take about like obviously i feel like I, I don't need to learn about the sport maybe if you're learning about the sport and don't know these players you want to hear more i also think that it very possibly was part of the reason why the obvious background to this Zverev stuff was never mentioned during his matches because if if you what would that be like if you're telling people like thousands of people who are sitting there in their arena all the stuff that they should know about what's going on with him, and you just never tell them. Maybe that's part of it. I also think it was a huge factor in uh, stirring up the crowd in the 2018 final with Serena. Yeah, that they the were hearing all this sort of like legit, yeah. they were hearing. There's a lot of gasoline there with all the anger and and knee jerk anti refereeing takes you're gonna get from McEnroe and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I think I think there it's a weird dynamic, and I don't like it. No, I don't, I, I don't, I don't love it. It's yeah. So, but anyways, you know, there's, there's a lot of things going on and, you know, and as Sloan, even in her fantastic answer on it, where she's kind of like scammers are scammers and there's so many scammers, but she's also kind of like, hold up. Like it takes way longer for girls to get out of a sports bra than it, a wet sports bra than it's going to take guys to get out of shorts. Like, you know, so you can't like, and every, you know, and as we know, every stadium is built differently. Every court is built differently in terms of how, how close the, uh, the off court, I mean, it's unfair to, for example, on Ash, where there's bathrooms right off the court to say, okay, you have three minutes for, for a bathroom break. But then if you're playing out on court six, where the bathroom is, you have to go into Ash. Yeah. You have to go into Ash. Then really you're getting a 30 second break. I mean, you're going in and out. Like, you know what I mean? So it's, you can't standardize it really. I mean, if anything, the fact that there isn't a standardized time limit is like fair to the players. Like, you know what I mean? Like, because it, it's trying to take into consideration. But so there's a lot of things that go into it. And so like putting the way that it was positioned over those first four days, like it's like this good versus evil. And everybody who does this is evil. And everybody who thinks this is good. That's just baloney. It's not true. It's a complicated situation. If it was like, if it was easier, then it would be easier to regulate. But it's just not. Yeah. Tricky. It's one of those things. Like you sort of know, you know a scam when you see one. Right. That's the thing. That's the thing. You absolutely yeah. know when you see one. And yes, there are going to be times where it's 50-50 or it maybe looks like a scam, but it's not. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think I thought back a lot during the U.S. Open to um, Barty at the Australian Open against Mukova and the Australian press trying to turn in that press conference trying to get Ash to basically be like, it was gamesmanship. It was unfair. It threw me off. Da, 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 da. Kind of basically trying to get Ash to do the Andy Murray monologue that, you know, he had at the U S open and her just like never giving it and just being like, it's within the rules. Sometimes I take medical timeouts. I mean, you know, if she, if the, the physios, we believe in the system, if the physios Dane that, 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 that she's not well, then it's under her right. It's, it's fully her right to take it. It's my responsibility to deal with it. Well, I didn't deal with it well, but that's on me. That's not on her. Like, you know, like that should be the take every time. But I know in the heat of battle, it's hard to. 
And Murray specifically said that he actually had a harder time with the physical element of it than the mental side. Like trying to stay warm at his advanced age for eight minutes was then what you're mad at you. Physical cool off. Yeah. Then you're mad at being old. You're mad at having a metal hip. You're mad at the fact that your body can't recover as well to you know with respect to to a five to eight minute stoppage he was playing so well in that match too that match he was, was so good oh, it was delightful delightful yeah. so good and again that's why he said at the end it's like it's, it's a bummer that like i'm not sitting here saying about how great it feels play well against the world number three how good stephanos is for the game da, 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 da. like to be fair and again people know how i feel about andy i will defend him to my deathbed but when he said that about kind of like it's a shame and now we're talking about this it's like andy the first question of every press conference goes to the moderator and the moderator specifically asks you for your thoughts on the match. If you wanted to talk about the match, you could have just answered the moderator's question, but instead you said, I'd rather just take questions, which we love as reporters because it, you know, we'd rather that as well. But there's a reason why that, that first question is asked, which is that to stop these press conferences from being about everything except for the match that's just been played. So at least you get some match quotes, you know? So it's kind of like, Andy, you could have just, if you wanted to talk about the match, you could have just talked about the match. But what do, what do you think about that practice, by the way? It's our first slam having it, I think, having every press conference have that of the moderator saying talk about the match. This, what you... Last time I checked, this is exactly what the it, what it well wanted. So if the if the tennis press had it, that's not really what I'm asking. That's not really what I'm asking. I'm asking like, how, you as a sort of writer, do you, mm-hmm. how, what do you think of it? It's as fine. A way to start. You know, you know the awkwardness of the press conference when you're in there, but you don't really have like, like the first person who has to it's ask like a routine second round win or whatever. Yeah, yeah you know, and you're yeah. in there to talk about twenty other things. You don't really actually care about the match that's just been played. Yeah. But you know, so I don't mind it. I thought it was interesting that the players didn't like, like towards the end, like players started to be like, yeah, let's just go to Novak, questions. Novak at the, his last final, he was like, I don't want, they're, it's like, they're going to ask about the match. It's fine. Yeah. And that's fine. You know, and, and, yeah. you know, so we get that, but, um, but I also kind of think that the way that the question was asked at the U S open, like the manner in which it was asked was weird. Yeah. You just have to stand there and say, just before we start, can you just uh, give us your thoughts on the match? In and out. It doesn't have to be like this long, you know, give us your thoughts on today's match and how you think you've played through this very successful week at the US Open. Yeah, it was weird. Wow, that was unnecessary, man. Like, just just ask the question, which is, I mean, to be fair, like, I know at, at WTA press conferences now, that is a thing is to ask the general question from the first by the the um the moderator and it's literally just like ash can you just talk about the match and how you feel you played yep. just gonna get out kick off the press conference and we go so that yep. that created a bit of a weird vibe at the start of the press conferences because i feel like players are also conditioned to like getting get out so they were like trying to be patient and wait for this question to get out knowing what the question was asking and it was just like, you could sense a little bit of like weird tension. The players weren't really getting it as opposed to just be like arena, talk about the match. So yeah, fair. that was my thought. Fair. On Any other general U S open thoughts? Uh, shout out to uh, the two players. We saw about start with Djokovic, the two players who did win grand slams at the U S open this year, actually three, cause there were four, cause there was a one in which our men's doubles as well with Reed and Hewitt, the Brits winning all of theirs, but the two players won golden slams and singles, uh, Dita De Groot and uh, Dylan Alcott. Who both won their events. Shout out also speaking of of of, of Dutch Philia here. 
runner-up in the quad singles, uh, Niels Vink. Mm-hmm. So adorable. I've been meaning to clip his speech. His speech is so... It's so adorable. He's only 18, another 18-year-old doing well. The tournament's, it's cool to see Love young doing well. Yeah. wheelchair tennis. Really, really enjoyed him. Uh, I, yeah, I'll do, maybe do that after we stop this, finally clip his video, because they didn't put... And Dylan's speech was amazing, too. Dylan's an incredible, yeah, incredible yeah. talker. I mean, and, he's and, just an incredible representative, and just, like, and obviously talent to do what he's yeah. done, but just, like... I've won on NCR for a while. He's been yeah, trickier yeah. to get, so I would, like, love to have him here. He's his a big book deal. is also great. Yeah. And his book is right there behind me. Um, yeah. One of the better Able. tennis books the last of this uh, this century for sure. Yeah, Abel, Dylan, Alcott. So I recommend that. Congrats to them. Uh, any other general U.S. Open thoughts, housekeeping uh, stuff? How was it back for you? According to being back at a tournament for the first time. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was better than I was anticipating. It definitely made a difference being there. Um, it was yeah. lovely to see the players. It was lovely to just be able to talk to them, even if randomly, or just be able to wave to them. You know, and and just like you know, acknowledge, uh, have them acknowledge you as well, uh, which was really great. Yeah, so it was it was good in that way. Um, it was still you know weird and and yeah, systems and and processes of of of, of kind of things was confusing. It was hard to get back on the horse of just um, being back and covering a slam on site, especially with things being a little just like just different enough to where like your original processes and and habits kind of all needed to be altered which was a lot selling to do do zooms is tough in a press room yeah doing the zooms and figuring out oh wait we can't just put our headphones in because they're not going to record it for us so we have to record it which means our our volume has to be up which is fine because the press room is not very full because there's not as many people credentialed but i also don't feel like as a journalist it feels rude but also like at least if you're doing a one-on-one too it's not this is my point like if you if like you and I both know, like back in the early days of when I guess things were maybe a little more cutthroat amongst reporters than maybe they are now. I don't know. But like, I would never do a one-on-one interview in front of another reporter. That's the point. It's a one-on-one interview for me. If somebody wants to record me doing an interview with, with Emma Raducanu from my desk, they can record it and they can publish it. It's not like I have a right to like stop them from doing that. So I just really didn't like that. I thought that that was that was odd, um, and also the fact that it's just rude um, to the people who are working around you or trying to file as you're like blasting a press conference. Little things like that, but it was lovely. It was great to be in New York for ten days. Uh, finished it up, you know, back back home, and it was fine. Yeah, no, it was it was a good tournament. It, it's definitely even for the greatest of cynics. I was listening to to our our good buddies, the Body Surf Boys, um, and their yeah. rap. But and so I won't say who the cynic is, but even to the biggest cynics, <laughs> this tournament left an imprint and this tournament was exciting and, 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 and incredibly memorable. And I think that, you know, they deserve a trophy for it. Oh, that was a good one. That was a good one. Good. Good tournament. Lovely to be back with you as well here, Courtney. Um, I will add the Patreon stuff later because I do all the names for first show of September, which I'll do here. And we'll wrap that up there and have a lovely uh, time. I'll see you sometime soon. Also, now you've had a, some schedule clarity for WTA Finals. Yeah. Going to Guadalajara. Guadalajara. Go, you think? I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, I presume that I, I presume so um, just because I, I would assume that they would want media coverage um, and features yeah. and things like that. So I assume so, which I'm looking very much forward to. Um, and we'll see, you know, how it goes. One other media thought is that I hope that the tours and you have to find this because you are a tour employee like 
can move follow the lead of the US Open and allow more in-person access. It's very frustrating being at Washington especially this year and having being kind of mixed with the players having no bubble for the players and yet still being on all Zoom for for interviews. It does make a big difference on both player and media side. Players were clearly happier to be in the room with people too and to be able to be just feeling safer or more like connected to what's going on there. And so I hope that tournaments like India Wells coming up soon um, can can make that make that possible. Correct me if I'm wrong, but did you not file a story to the New York Times about vaccination rates of players? I did. That's a part. That's part of it for sure. Yeah, that's absolutely a factor. All right, so let's get the players vaccinated. More reason to ostracize them for that. Like weird to blame tours for trying to keep people safe, but okay. All right. On that note, bye guys. Ciao. So thank you very much to all of you for listening and especially for your support on Patreon for the NCR Patreon. We have one new backer to thank here, Mora M. So thank you to Mora for signing on since our last episode and a quieter shout out to a whole bunch of backers. I think nine of them in total who've signed on to back us since our last show on our juniors level. So thank you to them. You know who you are and you're wonderful. Aside from just being a way of supporting me and Courtney and the main NCR shows, being a patron gives you access to many hours of exclusive audio and video content, including the three hours of our recent August mailbag episodes. And there's also occasional other perks. Uh, it was great getting to meet several patrons for the first time at the U.S. Open for the handoffs of a giveaway we were doing there to thank backers. So again, thank you to everybody who supports the show, helps keep it going, helps keep it ad-free, and all those things. Uh, since it's our first show of the month of September... Well, not really our first show of September, but, you know, close enough. We get to thank lots of backers who we thank every month on our on-tour level of backing. Who are Matt Mitchell, Rachmere E., Kristen Webb, Greg Rails, Olivia Haynes, Jeff Augustin, Deepa Mokshagundam, Ido Pollock, Nick, Mallory Bappas Couture, Laura Vergani, Aluko Hope, David Ebershoff, Ken Solomon, Kathleen Sharkey, Stephen Tidings, Danielle Hartzell, Horatio Silva, Joseph Har, Reginald Bazile, Misa Miyagawa, Annie Kim, J.B. Wogan, Jillian Dobson, Andrew, The Body Serve Podcast, Andrew Eccles, Ninja Steph, Joy Katz, Greer Millard, Ava Marshalkova, John Fisher, Harish, Elise Penich, Kate S., Jeremy Blackstock, Dermot Harkin, and Lori Porter. And our Slam Champ backers we thank every episode are Susanna W., Sean Mulroy, Mary Carrillo, Leah Williams, Liz Kennel, Jonathan Weinbaum, Jean Simeon, James Hindle, Antonio Maycumber, Anna Valinder, Timothy Liu, and Ashley Keel. Very nice to meet two of the Slam Champ backers for the first time, by the way, during the U.S. Open, Antonio and Jonathan. Lovely to meet you. And last, but very much not least, our GOAT backers, Nicole Copeland, Pam Shriver, and J.O.D. Hope you all are resting and recuperating from the U.S. Open ready to tackle all your autumnal adventures with aplomb. And we'll see you guys later. Bye. Chasing the clouds